book of 2 Corinthians, as we turn now to the Word of God, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll be reading from verse 12 through 16, as we look into this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he shares about the fragrance of triumph, how to triumph in Christ, how Christ is to some sweet aroma. And to others of a smell that they don't desire, the truth of Christ will shine forth. As Paul writes here in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we read in chapter 2, verse 12, these words. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, But taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Well, this morning we're very blessed to have a guest who will be preaching the Word of God, who will open the Word of God to us, and many of you already know who he is, as he has been here for the past uh, two months, two full months now, full-time on staff. That is James Barbalitos, and he is our pastor of student ministries, and he has been uh, doing a wonderful job working with the students and going out to the UW campus every week to uh, meet with uh, the collegiates, as well as uh, continuing to teach Sunday school here and a number of other things. He's been very, very helpful around the office and ministering to the students. He is uh, here, and we're grateful to have him, and let's give him a warm welcome as he comes forward. Uh, good morning. Wow. That was good. I, I won't even ask you to do it again. That was. Um, well, I want to thank you. It's a pleasure to have the opportunity to come speak to you again. Um, it's been a couple months since I've been up in front of the pulpit, so I want to thank Pastor Joe. I know that he loves bringing the word to you each Sunday, and so it's an honor to have this opportunity. And uh, I also wanted to just, uh, just personally thank you again for your wonderful gift uh, I received last week. Um, Pastor Appreciation Month, you know, I, it's only been a couple months, as Pastor Joe said, and I'm, I feel like I'm just barely out of the chute, getting my, getting my roots down and my feet on the ground and trying to understand what ministry is like. And I've just felt so much love from you. I know Leanne would say the same thing, so I very much appreciate you very, very much. Um, and over, over the last couple months, or a few weeks rather, Pastor Joe has been instructing us concerning the churches in Revelation. And I've been blessed by that. We've seen uh, the various letters from John written to those churches. And we've learned about uh, their struggles, the the problems of the church. Some of the churches love the world um, rather than the Lord. Some of the churches loved um, false teaching and glorified themselves and strayed away. Um, We know one of the churches was lukewarm. 
You know, and then there was some faithful churches, and we've studied, you know, what were the churches like? You know, we, we looked at the, the jewels and, and how some of them honored the Lord despite their trials, despite their persecutions. And as I'm sure many of you have, I, I was often thinking, I wonder what kind of letter the Lord would write to us today in this day and age. Um, even more specifically to Living Hope Bible Church. Um, I'll be in the office in the afternoons and the, the mail lady will come in and drop off the letter. And I've often wondered, I wonder if one of those letters was addressed from God. Dear Living Hope Bible Church. I wonder what it would say. Because the thing is, we as, as a church, we were just like the early church back then. You know, we, we, we're people. We have families, we have jobs, and we love the Lord. I think oftentimes... Um, People misunderstand the early church. I think oftentimes it's either one, one thing in that they, they look down at them as if, you know, look at all these struggles. They had all these, you know, they're trying to go back to the Jewish law. We don't really have that today. Um, I can't believe these struggles that they had. You know, why don't they just believe in Christ and live it out? Um, and then other times I think that people exalt the early church as if they were um, better than they are. You know, oh, you know, I, I, I hear that uh, in the news and from churches. You know, we just want to model our church after the early church. You know, churches have just gone astray nowadays, and we just want to, we want to get back to what the early church was like. Well, I, I think that, you know, that, that might be okay to an extent, but as we'll examine this morning, I, I like to look at the, the early church and us today. We have the same purpose. You know, the goal of the early church from the beginning is the same goal that we have today. We have the same goal as a body, we have the same goal as a church and individual believers. And it's to this that Paul talks about in in 2 Corinthians in our passage this morning. Um, But because we're just jumping right into the book, I'd like just to kind of give you a little bit of historical context on what's going on. I know it's difficult just to to jump to a brand new book. But this this book of 2 Corinthians was at least the third book uh, or letter that Paul had written to this church. Paul had many dealings with the church of Corinth. And to give you an understanding of where it is, it was, it was located on the isthmus between um, two major, the two major sections of Greece. And I, you know, I looked through all these maps. I'm a map guy, and I love to kind of examine where cities are located. Uh, but I know most of you are not geography majors. So just to give you an understanding, there's really two major sections of Greece. There's kind of like a uh, northeast section and a southwest section. And then there's a little land bridge connecting the two points. And Corinth was located right in the middle of this. And so it was right at the heart between the trade routes of Greece, going from the north to south. And it was also in between two seas, so it was uh, at the head of all the sea trading routes. So it was a city of, it was rich, it was prosperous. You know, if you wanted to trade or if you were going to land in Greece, you had to go through Corinth. And the city was known for its pottery, it was known for its brass, even throughout Asia Minor and all of the Roman Empire. So this was a, a city of great consequence. Um, by the time the Roman Empire came around, uh, Rome had made Corinth the capital of Acacia, which is the Roman province in Greece. It covered the whole southern section of Greece, including Athens. Um, and so it would have had a, uh, a Roman dictator there to, to, to manage the laws. And so it, was, it even had more prominence in Athens in many aspects concerning government. Um, it was home to the Isthmian Games, which were held every odd year as opposed to the, the Olympian Games. And so athletes from all over the empire would come. Tradesmen would all, from all over the empire would come and establish stands there. It was a well-known and world-famous city. 
It was home to the famous Temple of Poseidon. You can imagine because it was in between two seas, they would worship Poseidon and they took splendor in that grand temple. And so the city was known to be rich in culture from people all over the empire, uh, most specifically Greeks, Romans, and even Jews settled there. Um, But it was known to be a city of rich culture. But on the other hand, Corinth had a dark side. Despite this glorious reputation that it had, it was also home to one of the largest slave trading markets in all the Roman Empire. If you wanted a slave in the western section of the empire, Corinth is where you went. And it's been estimated that over 500,000 slaves dwelled in the Corinth area, where they would be traded, bought, sold, and shipped off to areas of Greece and all throughout the empire. In addition to this, the patron goddess of Corinth was Aphrodite, which is the Greek goddess of love and lust and beauty. And within the, the temple walls of Poseidon, it's estimated that over a thousand prostitutes each day could be found outside and within the temple walls. And by, by all aspects, Corinth was considered an immoral city, even by Roman standards, which our standards are much less as ours today. You might think of it as the, the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire, in a sense. Um, a, a term in the Roman Empire was a Corinthian woman. That, that type of phrase was known throughout the empire as, as someone who, a woman who was immoral. Uh, ladies, you would not want to be called a Corinthian woman. Uh, we'll put it that way. Um, and so this is the kind of culture that Paul has been dealing with. This is why you can see some of the struggles which they fought with, which they struggled over that Paul had to, to correct them on. In the, in the beginning of this letter, Paul, he, he, he writes about coming to Troas because what had happened is that he had written them a harsh letter, a difficult letter, rebuking them for their bad doctrine, for their, their conduct in church. And he was concerned about them. And he was waiting to hear how the church responded to his letter. And as we see, reading through the rest of Second Corinthians, we can see that the church had repented. The church had um, turned away from the false teachers. The church had gone back onto the correct path of the true gospel. And in this, Paul rejoiced. But they still weren't perfect, just like many churches today, just like us. And they still struggled with the false teachers. Because the false teachers would infiltrate into the church and they were attacking Paul's authenticity. They were attacking Paul's um, true message saying, Oh, you know that Paul, he, he talks a big game in his letters, but in real life, you know, he's not much, he's not much to listen to. You know, he's really into for preaching the gospel for his own gain. All he, he just wants notoriety, he just wants money. And so in the beginning of this passage, we see that Paul is writing to answer to these questions. But as he, as he does this, he stops. Something hits him. And he's reminded about what his purpose is. He gives us insight into what his purpose is, but not only his, what your purpose is as a believer. He wrote to correct their doctrine. He fought the satanic influence in Corinth. The satanic influence and the false teachers plagued Paul so much that it was, it's estimated by many scholars that the false teachers in Corinth are the very thorn in the flesh that Paul pleaded with God to remove. He talks about it in this very letter. Now, whether that's true, I don't know, but you can see the passion that Paul has for this church. He loved them. And so through this text, I want to see as we get into it, I want to give you three features of our Christian faith so that you will have a godly attitude in your life. Three features of our Christian faith so that you will have a godly attitude in life. 
In the beginning of this passage, Paul, he writes, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, starting in verse 12, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I could not find my brother Titus. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Paul was expecting to meet Titus in Troas. He went there to preach the gospel, but mainly also he went there to find out how the church was doing. He labored over the church. He cared for them. You know, have they repented? You know, what, what, what is their, you know, where, where are they going? Have they taken a path and are they, are they heading back down to, to the pagan rituals and the, the, the worship of the flesh and idolatry? Or have they corrected themselves? Have they listened to my words and are they back on the right path towards the gospel? Paul was greatly distressed by this. In fact, he writes, the, door, the Lord opened up a door to me to preach the gospel and yet I still could not find rest. Paul, knowing Paul, that was his greatest joy in life was to evangelize, to preach the gospel. And so he says, despite all this, I couldn't find rest. And these are not the words of a man who was preaching the gospel for gain. These are, not the man who, 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 these are not the words of a man who wanted to preach the gospel for notoriety. Here he says, even though I had the chance to preach the gospel, I couldn't get you off my mind. Corinth, I cared about you. As would you if you heard that uh, your son or daughter was injured at school and, and had to await the news of whether they were okay. You can, just, you can just picture something going on at work and you know that you have to get this work done. But you know, knowing that, you just couldn't rest. You'd have to drop everything you were doing and just rush either to the hospital or to the church or to the phone. And what's wrong? Are they okay? Is everything fine? This is what Paul was laboring over. So he left and he ultimately left and went to Macedonia where he did find Titus. And he heard of the great news of the church's repentance and how they were back on the right track. And Paul writes of this, and he, he's telling them this story, how he took leave and went to Macedonia, but then he stops, and he's reminded about what his purpose is. What is his feature so that you will have a godly attitude in life? The first one is that you are led by Christ. As Christians, you are led by Christ. He continues on, and he says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Paul, when he got there to Troas, he, he didn't want to stay very long. He, he had business to attend to. He, he cared about this church. But the text says that, the, that God opened up a door to preach the gospel. How many times, how is it in your life sometimes when, when things are going busy, you know, you, ha, you have problems, water heaters breaking in your house, um, family's coming over to visit, all these things are going on, and then God calls on you to serve somebody else. You know, sometimes it just seems like it's the worst possible time. And you're like, ah, I can't, Lord, what do you expect me to do? You know, he expects you to be obedient. Because as Paul writes, it is Christ leading us. He's giving you this situation for a purpose. As a matter of fact, he's led you there. God wanted him to stay in Troas. He didn't want, God had purposely intended him not to find Titus. It was not a surprise to Paul. It took him a little time to remember this. But it was all in God's purpose. Acts 20 records that a man named Eutychus had listened to Paul while he was preaching in Troas. Paul was intending to leave the next morning, but he was preaching the gospel and the people of the town couldn't get enough. And so he kept preaching and preaching and preaching all the way till midnight, the text says. 
And this man, Eutychus, is a young boy. He was listening to Paul. And he fell fast asleep in a window cell. And he fell three stories to his death while listening to Paul. But Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, went down and raised him from the dead. And the text says that the, the community was not comforted a little. They saw the power of Christ and the glory of God was manifested through Paul because of that. Christ had led Paul there for his purpose and it was to glorify his name. And tradition has it that after that point a church was started in Troas. At times it seems if God calls on you to serve others and honor Him at the most inconvenient time. But you must understand that Christ is leading us. The text says that that Christ always leads us in the ESV, it says, in triumphal procession. And the word triumphal procession is actually translated from one word in Greek. And it's representing this, this grand Roman ceremony called the triumph. It was the highest honor that could be given to a, a victorious Roman general. And in order to do it, some specific standards had to be met. The first is which is that it had to be given to the only, the head general of the whole campaign, the supreme commander, the commander-in-chief is what we would call it. And it had to be the end of a campaign, it had to be the end of the war, so the troops were coming home and no longer had to remain on the field. In addition to this, over 5,000 of the enemy soldiers had to have been killed in at least one battle. One battle alone had to kill at least 5,000 of the enemy soldiers. And finally, in addition to this, they had to have gained the territory. A positive territory had to be gained for the Roman Empire. And I kind of thought about this. Now, how do we, how do we reconcile this? I would guess it would be kind of like a, those big ticker tape parades you always see like at the end of World War, World War II, whether it was a, a victory over Europe or victory over Japan or maybe when the astronauts came back from the moon. You know, you'd see them riding in the motor cars and um, the ticker tapes come and everybody's out there cheering. Like, we don't see that very often. This is the type of ceremony that may have been found maybe once in a lifetime for the Romans. But they all anticipated it and they all... Um, They loved the ceremony. It was a joyous time for Rome. What they would do is they would start on the outside of the city and march all the way through the streets to the Capitol building where there would be a grand grand splendor ceremony. And in this parade, the first would be the the senators of the the officers of the Senate and they would be parading in their uh, official gear, walking in front. And then would be the trumpeters and they'd be playing the the grand victorious music of Rome so they would fill the, the city with music. And then following them would be the, the carriers of the foreign artifacts, the, the uh, booty, if you will, from where they, the spoil of what they had conquered. Um, history records that when the Romans conquered Israel, they had brought, when they went to their triumph, they had brought artifacts from inside the temple. Artifacts of gold. They had, they had create models of things that they had conquered and carried them through. And after these would be the foreign princes. Those of the rulers who had just been conquered, the head military generals were the princes. And they'd be in shackle and they'd be marching to imprisonment, but most likely marching towards their own execution. And they'd be executed in public in display. And then following them would be priests burning incense. And this incense would fill the whole city. And it was a recognizable incense so that everyone would know victory had... had um, been accomplished, Rome had achieved victory over a foreign foe. And in this they would celebrate. And then finally would be the triumphant general. And in him he would be cloaked in a robe of purple. And a crown of gold would be held over his head and he'd be lifted up and they would exalt him. 
as the victory, the leader of the victory. And it's this in mind that Paul takes it, and now he turns to our victory. And he says, thanks be to God who leads us in triumphal victory. Church, as believers, we have won the victory. Christ has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And we are in the processional triumph with Him. But it's Him that is leading it. And so Paul recognizes that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, Christ is leading us. And so though we may go through difficult times, though, though you may go through struggles and uh, periods of uncertainty, you must understand that it is Christ who is leading you there. As we are obedient to His Word, he, He's leading this church, He's leading our families, our lives and our jobs. You have those times of frustration when you don't know where you're going to go to school, students. You don't, you don't know what job you're going to get. You're looking for God's guidance on whether to buy this new home or move to this new city. Those are difficult times, but know that Christ is leading you. Take comfort in this. Paul didn't like his situation either in Troas, but he did what was required from him. He preached the gospel. And you, you are required to do the same. No matter what situation you are in, you are required to be obedient to God's word, despite your circumstances. And I must clarify, this is all contingent by leading in Christ. It's based on your obedience to His Word. If you are sinning and living in a moral life, Christ is certainly not leading you. And so many times you may get yourself in a situation that is your fault. But it's not too late to stop. And even though the times may be difficult, turn to God's Word. Be obedient. When you're obedient to His Word, He will lead you. And not just lead you through struggles, yes, but ultimately to triumph. Have a God-centered attitude knowing that God, through Christ, is leading you. I think many times it's, we ask, why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? When what we should be asking is, because I'm here, God, how can you use me for your glory? How can I be obedient to your word? How can I walk worthy of my calling? Know that you are being led by Christ. The second feature of our Christian faith, which should affect your attitude of a godly life, is that you are to be used by Christ. You are to be used by Christ. Not only is He leading you, He has a purpose for you and is to use you. Paul continues on and he writes, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. This is our purpose, church. It has been the purpose from the beginning and it is going to be the purpose to the end. Our purpose in Christ is to spread His knowledge, the knowledge of Him everywhere and to all parts of the earth. This is the very commission that God gave His disciples in Matthew and applies to us today. It was the same goal of the early church and it is the same goal of Living Hope Bible Church. Spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. God is using you as a fragrance. What glorious purpose we have. God has chosen you, you individually, to be a vessel to make His name known. Are you doing that? Can people... Smell the aroma of Christ to those around you, to those in church, to those who you work with. 
I think of a, a newly baked batch of cookies or, or bread. You know, when they're first taken out of the oven and they're in the kitchen, it fills this room with an aroma. But it doesn't stop there. It goes into the, to the dining room and then into the living room and it makes its way up the stairs into the bedroom until finally the whole house is filled with this wonderful aroma. That is to be you. We are to fill this world with the aroma of Christ which is the knowledge and truth of His name and what He has done. We are to fill the world with the knowledge that they are sinners and that they are on their way to hell. But unless they repent of their sin, they will perish. It is like, it's an unmistakable spill. It is like the incense that the priests were burning in the parade. All of Rome would have smelled this and known, ah, victory. They would have loved it. And the Corinthians would have understood this this uh, illustration well. How strong is your scent? Are you like that newly baked batch of cookies? Or are you like that old air freshener that's been plugged into that wall for far too long? You know, maybe if you stick your nose and sniff, you can kind of smell the uh, Mountain Dew or the fresh rain scent that used to be there, but it's not really emitting much. We want to be a potent scent, church. But I must also tell you that Paul recognizes that our scent, even though it's the same everywhere, is going to be taken different by two different people. Completely different. The first he writes and he says, For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. A fragrance from life to life. To other believers, our aroma should be one of life. It is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. That He has paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. It is a reminder of love and hope. And I see this every week. I see this when we go uh, eat the food after the service, some of, some of which is new to me each week. I'm still learning uh, all the, the delicacies of this church. But I, I, see, I see the love and the fellowship here. We encourage one another. As believers, our fragrance needs to edify one another. In times of struggle, we as believers have been there where a fellow brother or sister in Christ has lifted us up, has encouraged us, has, imp- has prayed for us, has sent us that get well soon card that has reminded us of the love of Christ. We are to be a fragrance to one another, to encourage one another. And as we study and be obedient to God's word, our aroma should grow ever stronger and more sweet. And we see that. We, we recognize those people in our church and those who we know who are just godly and humble. And you're like, man, I just really appreciate them. Our aroma with one another cannot be hidden. It's like a city on a hill, the Lord says. We are up and it, it, it affects the rest of us. It benefits the rest of us. God has created us as a body to serve one another, as, as many members and parts. So we are to be the fragrance of life. You You are to be the fragrance of life to fellow believers. The Lord said, by this, by your love, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. Are you loving one another? Church, I urge you to to strive to be an aroma of life for one another. Encourage and pray for one another. I love this aroma. It reminds me of the joy of Christ. It reminds me of, of hope and knowing that, you know, we have this strong bond. No matter what the world throws at us, we have each other. And Christ is our general. And He is leading us. He no longer... He, he, he does not have a, a robe of purple now. Maybe He does, but He, he stands there. He no, he no longer has a crown of thorns, but it is a crown of righteousness. 
and His pierced hands and His side. He is leading our procession. And in that we glory. We love this smell. It fills the world. However, the smell is also one of death. The text says, For those who are being saved, it is the fragrance of life. For those who are perishing, it is the fragrance of death. From death to death. This same incense burning that the, the Roman people would have known as victory, those princes of the foreign lands, those generals of the foreign lands would be smelling it, but they'd be taking it a much different way. As they were marching, smelling the incense burning right behind them, they knew they were marching to their very death. To them it was the smell of death and defeat. It was a smell that they despised. It's not the actual scent that is repulsive, but it's what the scent represents. To you, and to the world, you represent death and condemnation. The message, of, the, the message of Christ is appalling to a world who loves themselves, who loves sin, who rejects God, the creator of all things. And they seek, they, they try to do everything they can to stamp out the smell, the smell. Not knowing that it's their very sin, that they reek of sin, and it is that aroma that God abhors. The God who created them, and He's going to judge them. It is a smell of condemnation. And you've heard this, oh, stop judging me, you Christian. You think you're better than I am. Well, you think you're, you know, yes, I've broken these commandments. Well, who hasn't? You know, I think I'm basically a good person. Who are you to judge me? Have you heard that before? Their defenses instantly go up because they understand their hearts condemn them because the law is written on their hearts. And so they try to, to block our aroma. They try to block our scent. And this should not surprise us. God said, Christ said, the world will hate you. It has hated me before it has hated you. And if it hated me, it's going to hate you. It's going to hate your aroma. But know that He's using you for that purpose. To make His name known to a lost world. They seek to destroy your fragrance. To them they think it's, they're doing the world good by ridding the world of Christians. And they persecute us because they can't stand our smell. What do you think about the knowledge of Christ? I urge you to examine your hearts this morning. How do you take the fragrance? Is it a fragrance of encouragement, of life, knowing that you have a hope? Does the fact that you are a sinner and that you deserve death and condemnation, but by the grace of God and His work on the, through Christ on the cross, you are saved, does that bring life to you? Or are you offended by that? Are you offended if I just look at you and say, listen, you're not a good person. You're not. You sin, you sin every day, you've broken God's commandments and you're deserving of hell. Examine your hearts because if this is offensive to you, you need to understand that although it is offensive to you, it is the truth. And you need to repent of your sin and ask God for forgiveness. And when you do this, this will no longer be the stench of death, but it will be the aroma of life. This past Wednesday, we celebrated Reformation Day. And in the, in the Friday before, we, we didn't have a Halloween party at our house. We had a Reformation Day party at our house. And we um, celebrated the, the Reformers. And I, I gave a, uh, a quick education to our, our students about what the Reformation was. Um, I was like, no, Martin Luther was not the civil rights activist in our country. How is Martin Luther King? Um, and we had a game. It was good. Um, 
But I was reminded that uh, so many of our brothers and sisters in the past sacrificed on our behalf for, for the gospel, to, to, make, to make the gospel known so that we could be smelling their aroma today. It was the aroma of life and it is the aroma of life to us even, even today. During the reign of Queen Mary of England, she was nicknamed Bloody Mary because she was a staunch Catholic and she hated Protestants. And, and, and her reign, I, I don't know, I, forgive me for not knowing, five or six years long, during that time she killed over 200 Christians. And two of, two Christians, I say Protestants most especially, um, but two of these such Protestant leaders were Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. And they were, lead, they were the leaders of two major Protestant groups within England. And they were arrested and put before a, a Catholic commission and ultimately condemned to death because, number one, they refused to recognize the Pope over Scripture. Number one, and, and number two, they refused to recognize that each time communion was given, Christ was re-sacrificed. They said, no, Scripture is our authority and Christ, he, he, His sacrifice is done. It's once and for all and this is a reminder. And for that, they condemned them to die and they burned them at the stake in 1555. They piled up the wood to their necks and set it on fire. And unfortunately, Mr. Ridley's wood was too green at the top and so it wouldn't burn. And so he started crying out to the Lord in pain to take him. And his friend, Mr. Latimer, was burning right next to him. And while burning, he said, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And then someone graciously took a flame from the bottom of his burning body and put it to the top so that he could die. Those men died so that the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ could be made known all throughout England and it is still being smelled today and even in this country because now Protestantism can be practiced freely. The Word of God can be read in English because of their sacrifice and many others. But at the time, society thought that they were doing a good job, something good by putting them to death. The famous preacher George Whitfield would preach in the streets and he once recalled that he had the honor of, while preaching the gospel, people would throw dirt and rocks at him, and also rotten eggs and pieces of dead cat. But he continued to preach. Why would you throw rotten eggs and pieces of dead cat at something? Because you hate its message. His message of the cross was abhorrent to them. Because it was the message of death. Church, you are to be used the same way. Those men who died, those men who preached to us, they are no different than you and I. They're just men. They're sinners saved by grace. But their life's work was to strive to make the glorious gospel of Christ known. Do you do this? Do you do this at work? Do you do this in the home? Is your office at work filled with the aroma of Christ? And finally, you are to be strengthened by Christ. You are strengthened by Christ. He's leading you, church. And it's not, a, it's not a vain parade. It is the parade of victory. Death has been conquered. Life has been attained. And He's using you in the parade to make His knowledge known. But He doesn't expect you to do it on your own. 
Paul continuing, starting in verse 16, he says, To one the fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance of, from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And Paul asks a question many of you might be asking, or have asked in the past. How can I do this? How am I to meet the standard that God has called me to? You know, I struggle with things. You know, it's, it's, it's easy just to say, trust in the Lord, but I have a family to feed. I've got to figure out a place to move. You know, I, I, people at work laugh at me. I can't just be a Bible thumper at work. Paul asks the same question. And if no, if Paul is asking it, it's a valid question. But then he answers his question just a few verses down. Reading in 3 at the end of verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Paul recognizes that our sufficiency to accomplish what he has set out to do is from God. Paul, in another letter, writes that God has, he has prepared the good works beforehand that we should walk in them. And if He has done that, then of course He's going to give us the strength to do them. That would make no sense if He prepared them and then didn't give us the ability to do them. He has given it to you. He will strengthen you. He promises to do so. But it takes work on your behalf. He won't do it for you. He requires you to be obedient to His Word. He requires you to pray and to honor Him and to study His Word. Yes, you're going to struggle. I understand that. I I struggle as well. But remember what your purpose is. I think oftentimes you you look at success at numbers. Churches do this all the time. Well, look look how big our church is. Look how many people I've saved. Look how many people uh, I bring to Bible study. When oftentimes God, all He wants is you to spread the knowledge of Him. That's your purpose. Remember your purpose and have that outlook in life. Seek to worship God. Seek to have this attitude. God, I just want to serve you today. Make your name known through me and look for opportunities to do so. Serve your fellow believers and make the knowledge of Christ known to a dark and dying world. Follow Him in His leading. Proclaim His name and trust Him. And trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning, God. We thank You for this opportunity to preach Your Word to a dark world. We thank You for the grace which sustains us every day. Lord, thank You for providing for our needs and for being the reigning King of righteousness who has conquered death. Father, we are unworthy of such a calling. We are unworthy to know You, yet You have seen it fit not only to make Yourself known, but to use us to make Your name known among the world. Father, thank You. I pray that You would be with each one this week in in school and in work. May we honor You in all that we do, and may You be pleased by our obedience to Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.